This the remix. I can't wait to see it. And I'm expecting him to have an incredible season for a young guy. I'm not saying he's going to win MVP, but he'll have an incredible season for a young guy. I've watched Kyle Shanahan have pretty good success with guys, with backup guys that are way less talented, way less talented than Trey Lance. So I'm expecting him to have some success with this kid, with the upside that he has in, in his body. I do have a lot of opinions on it. I just am not liberty to share them at this time. But, um, you know, that's for the league to decide. I, I, I respect what Steve Bashotti has created here and Dick Cass really almost 10 years ago. And basically, you know, it's we're kind of a zero tolerance. I mean, you got to know the truth. You got to try to understand the circumstances. But we've stayed away from that particular situation. When we draft players, when we sign them as free agents, we just haven't dealt with it. And uh, that's, that's Steve's decision, and I, I'm glad we have that policy. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. The NFL is appealing the Deshaun Watson suspension of only six games. The NFL is looking for a one-year suspension. And according to Jeff Darlington, they are still looking for that indefinite tag because that would require Deshaun Watson to effectively apply for reinstatement. So conceivably, it could end up being more than one year. And the NFL wants to fine Deshaun Watson, if you remember the original ruling from Judge Sue Robinson was no fine. He would lose his game checks, but because his uh, actual salary is only $1 million this year, it was going to total up to less than $400,000 for Deshaun Watson. The NFL wants to fine him as well. As you told us earlier in the show, Roger Goodell is going to appoint an outside party to, I guess, make the final decision on this process. But you're being appointed by Roger Goodell. I assume you're listening to, to what Roger, Roger Goodell, Goodell has yes, to say Roger Goodell. about this. Uh, what do you think happens here? I think he gets much more than six games. Does, I don't think they would appeal if they didn't have a good sense that they could win this. Okay, here's okay. Let me ask you this question because I have not seen this answered anywhere. When stories say the NFL is appealing, who does that mean? Who made the decision to appeal? In this instance? Yeah. I would think Roger Goodell did. So Roger Goodell appealed to himself. Yeah, he appealed to himself. Okay. Because that's how I've interpreted most of these, but I'm like, that sounds stupid. But I Do guess you think he would involve owners? No. I don't think he would have. I, surely they've got some sort of legal team that he's talked yes. to a lot and been like, all right, what what exactly What's our avenue? What's our, here? Yeah, what, what should we do? But I just find it funny that everything is like, well, the NFL has appealed the Deshaun Watson ruling. To Rod, the NFL. Roger Goodell will now hear yes. <laughs> the case. I'm like, so he appealed to himself, right? That's what happened here. And is he appealing to the judge? No, he's appealing to himself. He's he's appealing the judge's ruling, and it'll right. now be so he's going to talk to himself in front of a mirror. Roger, what do you think? Well, no, well, he, I think he's going to have the he, outside person. Yeah, probably in his office. Roger Goodell's Listen, lawyers Jimmy. are going to appeal to the guy Roger Goodell appointed <laughs> about the Deshaun Watson ruling. How does it get to this point? And so here's okay. Here's my main question. Well, we the main question actually is why did the players agree to this? That's the main question. But whatever. My secondary question on this is what's the point of even having the third party judge make a decision in the first place? There is no, if, if you know, you can always appeal to yourself. There's no reason for that. Right. Why don't you just handle it yourself? Because if she makes a decision and everybody agrees with it, then great. Everybody agrees with it. They could have gotten to that without a third party judge. 
if she makes a decision, and in this case, the NFL doesn't agree with it, then the NFL just appeals to itself and can effectively do what they want. If she makes a decision and the Players Association doesn't agree with it, then they appeal to Roger Goodell and the NFL, and the NFL says, no, we got what we want, so go away. So what's the point of the third-party judge? There is no point. Right. Like, it just looks good and initially because, hey, we have a third-party judge. But then if the NFL doesn't like her decision, well, <laughs> Roger we'll appeal to ourselves. Roger Goodell's going to make the yeah. decision anyways. It's just like, I don't know. Like, I don't understand the, that whole Sue Robinson spent how long coming up with this? Like the, the they had their hearings. fifteen page report she yeah. wrote out, and it's it means nothing. It's completely. If I was Sue Robinson, I'd be pissed. I'd be like, I came out oh, of retirement. What for did this. I do? Well, I guess she get paid? On how much she got paid? I was gonna say, how oh much did yeah, she, get she paid? got paid. She didn't do this for free. Nor nor should she have, by the way. But she's looking back saying, I probably should have made that a one page report yes. instead of fifteen. One <laughs> sentence report. He's suspended for six games. Now you guys take care of it. Okay. I don't know why. The Q had some reasons earlier in the day that were pretty funny, but if you're the NHLPA. At what point did you agree to some kind of stipulation that, right. that this that he, this guy could appeal anything to himself? Yeah, who agreed to that? Yeah, I this, that had to be end of end of negotiations day. They're very tired. They're just reading through it, going through the motions, and they're like, "Yep, third party judge sounds great. Appeal process cool. Who does it appeal to? Roger Goodell. Okay, whatever. We're fine with that. Like I, I can't imagine reading that and be like, all right, if you want to appeal." You have to appeal to the guy who's against you in the in the, in the first place because you're fighting the NFL on these things. It's so great. So, yeah, it's ridiculous. Now, here's the question I asked earlier. I think I asked the QN, Charles. But, like, if you're the NFL right now, what looks worse for your league? What looks worse for you? Is it A having Deshaun Watson play football games this season, because they clearly don't want him to play football games this season, or is it B, this whole fake game of, well, we had a third-party judge, but we're going to appeal to ourselves, and basically we get to make all of the punishments no matter what. Like, what looks I worse? I think it looks NFL? worse if this guy's only suspended for six games. I think so, too. And while I think it looks stupid and terrible... The other that, part looks completely buffoonery. Right. But I also think if you're the NFL, you can effectively blame the Players Association because it was collectively yeah, bargained. This is part of the CBA. Yeah. So you can be like, they agreed to it, so we're going to do it. Even though it, do, like, it does it take away the fact what Deshaun Watson did. Just anybody did something wrong. You have a third-party judge determine, well, this is what I think the suspension should be. And then you just blow over you just it. crush it and yeah. say you know give it twice as long right and say nope eh, we don't agree we're going to do whatever we want that looks bad right you look like you're a fraud of a some sort of justice system within your own league but i agree with you deshaun watson playing a game this season is looks a worse, worse look for the yes. nfl than whatever fake process they're going through to get there and i think that's how the nfl views it as well, I read a reason this morning. Oh, and I asked you about this. Was this was the appeal just based on public perception, public backlash? Uh, the people who were, you know, all the. I mean, it was just ridiculous how, what the public backlash was on how stupid these six games were. And is he so concerned about that that he said an appeal, or is this just him and the ego of the NFL saying, "No, we want this, so we're just going to do it because we have the we have the ability to do that through this appeal process." Might be both. I think it's I do think it's both because they they did push for a year plus the indefinite tag. Right. Like they pushed for significantly more than what Deshaun Watson got. 
And I, I think even, well, I don't know, if there had been no public backlash, if Deshaun Watson... You still Watson, think they would have appealed. I don't know. If Deshaun Watson had gotten six games and everybody had, if everybody like publicly had been like, all right, that seems fair. I don't know. Because they clearly wanted a year or a year plus. They wanted a year, a fine indefinite. plus the indefinite tag so that he would have to reapply for instatement. That's a lot. That's a lot more than six games. Right. I, I think maybe they still do. Even if everybody had said, okay, six games seems fine. Yeah, and there would have not have been the Twitter, social media, public disdain for the six games. I think they might still come back and appeal it and try to get yeah. more. I still think they might just because it's such a long stretch from six to a full season plus the indefinite tag. If and when he does get suspended indefinitely and has to apply for reinstatement, at that time, is he technically considered an employee of the NFL if he has to apply for a reinstatement? I think so. Okay, then never mind. Because I was going to say, if if he's not an employee, what are the odds we see him in the XFL in the spring? That'd be fun. Very low, though. Very yeah. low. It'd be fun though, because he got the well, contract. He's getting paid for, the for. He's getting paid by the Cleveland. Yeah, he's, he's got the contract. If, for the if he's indefinitely suspended, does paid. he still get that? Got paid last year. He doesn't year. get his game check, but he gets all the signing bonuses. Yeah, he gets all the I bonuses. believe that's how that works. Yeah, okay. So like this year, it's what was it? Forty was it forty five million dollars signing million. bonus with the one yeah. million salary? So he doesn't yeah. get the salary, but, but he gets the forty five. He gets the yeah. So that that's fun there. Um, I do think. So here's, I think, the important part for the NFL. Obviously, they want the one year because they don't want him to play him play this year. I do think they care a lot about the indefinite tag and the the apply for reinstatement part of that because what we've talked about in the past is what if something else comes out or something else happens between now and the start of next season? Sure. Because they've got more women coming forward. Right, the whole apply for reinstatement part, if... Between now and week one of the 2023 season, so basically a year from now, if nothing else happens, nothing else comes out from Deshaun Watson, I imagine the NFL would approve his reinstatement, right? He, okay, you suspended for a year, whatever fine they find him, and here you go, here's your uh, check mark, you're allowed to come back into the league. But I think the worst case scenario for the NFL is they don't have the indefinite tag. And something else happens. Whether, yeah, because if they even say a year, right, and, and then next, five more women come forward. Right, next June, there's either more women that come forward, or there's another incident, a right. new one with Deshaun Watson. If you're the NFL and you don't have the indefinite tag, you're going through this whole process again, right? Right, and that's not ideal. Now, if you have the indefinite tag and he has to apply for reinstatement, you can just delay it. Right. And you're like, well, look at what you just did. You moron. You're not coming back to the league. You clearly haven't learned. So and I guess think- who's, I guess who's deciding on reinstatement. <laughs> Roger. Goodell. Same guy who decides the appeals. He <laughs> no, decides no, no. everything. No, no, no. He's hiring. No, an he's, outside hiring third party he's hiring that third. It won't yeah. be influenced by Roger yeah. Goodell at yeah. all. I hope the outside party is Steven Ross, the owner of the dolphins. <laughs> That would be awesome. Steve, I know you don't have anything to do for the next few months, you know, because we suspended you. So you can hear this case here with Deshaun Watson. Did you see? Okay. Adam Schefter was on ESPN yesterday, and Michael David Smith tweeted out this quote from Schefter. So thank you, Michael David Smith. But Adam Schefter apparently said on ESPN yesterday, he, referring to Watson, he has been adamant and steadfast in his belief that he doesn't believe he did anything wrong wrong can that even be possible at the moment i know people think very highly of themselves i know people make excuses 
for their own actions. We all do it. Is there any way Deshaun Watson actually thinks he did nothing The arrogance wrong? and ego of an athlete, I could see that. Really, though? Like, I mean, that many and you have women? Down, you have down here, one of his... Uh, one of his attorney statements was that he was remorseful. Yeah. Oh, his the the Browns have said in a press conference. Excuse me. The Brown. Excuse me. The Browns. They have said yes. in a press conference he is remorseful. Right. Basically, he regrets. Well, what is that he covering did. them for giving him two hundred and forty million dollars? <laughs> yes. He might not Absolutely. be remorseful, but they're going to say that out loud because it's like, oh my God, look how much money we gave this guy. But like, okay, the the thought before Deshaun Watson even got caught, right before any of this was public. Deshaun Watson was using Instagram DMs to find unlicensed massage therapist. That that reeks of feeling guilty. Deshaun Watson got a non-disclosure agreement from the Texans to take to these massage therapists so they wouldn't talk about the massages. That he had to be he had to feel guilty, right? Those are not things you do if you think you're doing everything right. Right, if you believe you've done everything right, you're not DMing unlicensed massage therapist, and you're not getting an NDA from your team. Does this have anything to do with the appeal that he wants to come off looking like he just doesn't want to, like he did nothing wrong? Uh, the third. I mean, I don't know if the third party judge cares. Already said that. Well, the the Sue Robinson Robinson said he did everything wrong. He did everything wrong. Right. We agree with everything the NFL said. Like I have. This has to be an easy appeal process for the NFL. Obviously, they control who's in charge of it. But uh, beyond, even if it was, they can just have her have the appeal person read the report. Right. Like that to me is an e. Like it's an easy thing. You read the report. You're like, oh, he did all of these things. And you're just saying he should get more games for it. And I think it's an easy argument to say, yeah, because there were 20 something women, right? Like, I think that's an easy argument to make. Not, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It seems too easy. And he's going to be suspended for a year plus that indefinite, indefinite tags getting taxed on. I don't know. It just seems too, maybe it's too easy and it doesn't happen that way. But I have to imagine this is an easy argument for the NFL to be like, yep, he did all these things. He did it multiple times. Right. And Obviously, he should get more than six games, which has been the standard punishment for people who do it one time, not six times or 26 times. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. So I uh, I figured it out. My hot dogs come in packages of 10 and... Hot dog buns come in packages of eight. Bischoff's Briefs. See, the thing is that life doesn't always work out according to plan. Bischoff's Briefs. So, be happy with what you got. So you can always get a hot dog. Bischoff's Briefs. All right, Bischoff's Briefs today starts off with a question. Do you believe UNLV is still a top 100 program in college basketball? Top 100. I'd say borderline. Borderline. All right. Borderline top 100. So Ken Palm has a fun ranking, good for off-season content, called Program Rankings. And this is not a single season ranking, but it is a long-term look at programs. Ken Palm has data back from to... From the ni- past. From, he has data back to 1997. So we're oh. looking at 97 to the present. So sorry, the national championship and all of the Jerry Tarkanian years are not included in this program rankings and more recent years are more heavily um, in the program rankings. Right. So what you did in 97 is not nearly as important as what you did in 2022. So you still think they're top 100? I will say no, no. 
UNLV is 82nd. Wow. Okay. In the Ken Palm program ranking. Okay. So are you surprised at that? Maybe a little bit because you don't have the glory years, right? The years of Jerry Tarkani and I mean, the years of winning a national tournament since then. Uh, what is it? Four? Since 97. How many long crew go to? Three. Oh, sweet 16. Yeah. So it's three, I think. And, and Dave Rice no, went Dave to two. Rice so, went five. Three, so five. So it's five. Um, so you, even without the glory years, no Jerry Tarkanian, no national championship. They're one hundred top one hundred in college basketball. Now, quick note: there are three hundred and fifty-seven college basketball programs. So UNLV is in the top twenty-third percentile of all college basketball programs, even since nineteen ninety-seven. Here's an important little side note before we get back to UNLV: nineteen percent of all college basketball teams make the NCAA tournament every season. That's a crazy low number, and when you compare it to our professional sports leagues. The NHL puts 50% of its teams in the postseason. Right. The NBA now with the play-in games, 67%. The NFL is at 44%. Major League Baseball is at 40%. Even if you included the NIT as postseason, 28% of college basketball teams go to the postseason. It's crazy low. Out of all of our sports, it is hardest to make the postseason in college basketball yes. than anything else, right? Even throw college football in where we're over half the teams. Oh, with all the bowl games. Right. Like when we compare success for UNLV basketball to UNLV football, UNLV football just has to be a 500 program to get to a bowl game. It goes to a bowl game and just be in the top 50%. Right. UNLV basketball has got to be in the top 18% of programs. It's actually higher than that when you start to factor in at larges from really bad conferences. You got to be really good to go to the NCAA tournament. It's the hardest sport to make the postseason. But back on UNLV. Here are the comparable teams UNLV that are sort of ranked around them at 82. Penn State, Nebraska, Boston College, TCU. It's a lot of bad power conference basketball programs. And if you go through looking at program rankings, UNLV, if they were the Big Ten, in the Big Ten, they would be ranked 13th best in the Big Ten. If they were in the Big 12, they would be ranked 9th best. There's only 10 teams. If you're in the ACC, they'd be ranked 14th best. In the SEC, 15th best if they were in the Pac-12 11th so UNLV if you take every power conference they'd be one of the three worst teams in at least every single power conference we talk a lot about the split in college athletics in football but in basketball it pretty much already exists because if you're a decent mid-major program which UNLV being ranked 82nd makes them a decent mid-major program you're basically a bottom barrel power conference team is what you would be. And there's only three non-power conferences. If you include the Big East, by the way, as a power conference in basketball, there's only three that are in the top 50. It's Gonzaga, it's Memphis, and it's Cincinnati. In the top 50, right? And 50 at-large teams don't make the NCAA tournament every year. So there's only three programs that are not in a power conference. From non-power five leagues? That are that are top 50. That surprises me. In program rankings. Because being in a power conference generally means you're better at basketball right. than that, not that, being a power the three, conference. The three seems low to me. Right. It does. But being, you know, the eighth best team in the Big Ten is better than being the second and oftentimes the best team in the Mountain West. In almost every other conference. Right. It's just what the reality is. So, okay, another guessing game for you. So 97 until now, program rankings recent years are more heavily weighted. Where does UNLV rank among Mountain West teams in program rankings? I'm trying to think of all the programs from 97. I don't think there's been a lot of great ones. Uh, 
And it's not including the teams that used to be in there. No, no, yeah, just the current team. So, yeah, TCU doesn't count as a Mountain West team. BYU Utah, doesn't count? No, no, they don't count. Just the cur- Of the current Mountain West teams, where does UNLV rank as program rank- ratings? How many are there? 11. Of uh, current, I would probably say nine, maybe eight. Oh, I'd say much higher than that. Well, I just told you that they're 82nd and yeah. that there are no Mountain West no- teams in the top 50. Oh, okay, so then I'll go four. Second. They're third. Okay. So eight. So here's the here's the program rankings for the top of the Mountain West. San Diego State is number one in the Mountain West. They are 69th overall. Utah State is the other program ahead of UNLV, but only one spot. They're 81st. And that's mostly well. Utah State was really good before they joined the Mountain West. Morrow had some good teams. Yeah. They had well, some good teams. They were yeah, they really did. good before they got yeah, the Mountain they were West, really good. and yes. then struggled a little bit. But then they had the uh, Nemesh Keda and um, yes. Uh, Sam Merrill. Sam Merrill. And they were okay. Very that good. makes sense. That so they're 81. Sense. UNLV is But they're 82. just one spot. Yeah, one spot. If UNLV has a good, if UNLV was better than Utah State this year, they'd jump ahead. They'd jump ahead of them. New Mexico comes in fourth at 86th. Nevada okay. at 91. Me. Boise State at 96. And Colorado State at 100. You know, New Mexico had a lot of good years yeah, too. They did. Uh, they actually have, I believe they have the second most top 25 Ken Palm finishes mm-hmm. since 97. Out. San Diego State obviously is number one. And then I think New Mexico has the because UNLV has not finished top twenty in Ken Palm ever. They've had some years where they were like twenty third, but they've never had a top twenty Ken Palm year ever. New Mexico has a few of them on there, so third is where they rank, and that's and there, there's actually a decent gap between San Diego State and the rest. Sixty nine to eighty one is a pretty big gap, but eighty one to one hundred that's kind of a there's a big there's a big group of Mountain West teams that are like oh you're a solid top one hundred program, but you're not actually that. Good. You're just right. a solid program. And any given year, you know, one of those programs with a great player can rise up like we saw with Colorado State, saw with Utah State, saw with Nevada all in the last handful of years have been had great seasons and been really good. But for the most part, they're kind of an outside looking in type of team for the NCAA tournament. That's what the Mountain West is made up of. So there's your program rankings. You know, we still in the top 100, but it, in right. reality, being in the top 100 is mean, the only thing that meaningful. surprises me on that is there's only three in the top 50. Yep. It is, uh, you got to get, BYU, I think, is the next one outside of the top 50. And right. They're like 56 or 4 or something like that. But yeah, it is Gonzaga, Memphis, Cincinnati. Since 97, those are the only three that would be considered up there with the Power 6 basketball conference. If you did the Big East as a non-power conference, which in basketball isn't really fair because like Villanova is very clearly a power conference right. level team and most of the Big East is, you'd get more because the Big East has like four or five teams that are in the top 50. But if you consider them a power conference, which most people do in basketball, then it's only three. Gonzaga, wow. Memphis, Cincinnati. Which Where's Gonzaga? Do you know? Uh, they were in the top 10. Let me double check really quick what they were. Uh, they were sixth in program okay. rankings since 97. The top, here's, your, here's your top 10. Number one is Duke. Number two is Kentucky. Number three is Kansas. Number four is North Carolina. Number five is Michigan State. Then Gonzaga at six. You get Arizona, Villanova, Texas, and Ohio State. Texas. To round out the top 10. What am I missing on them? I mean, Durant years. The 2000 to 2010 time frame. Well, you don't have okay. to. This is all Ken Palm ranking. So it doesn't really matter if you go on and win the national championship. Like since 97, I believe UConn has the most national championships in college basketball, but they are only 17th. And so like if you go through this and just look at NCAA tournament, how many times you've made it, Texas has made it 21 times. Connecticut's only made it 16 times. So Texas very rarely has a truly bad, bad team. team. They don't have a national championship, 
but they don't have a bad team. Whereas UConn has had some bad teams in in the last since 97. And so that's a big deal. Now Duke, Kentucky, Kansas almost never have a bad team and have, you know, won titles, multiple titles. So that's why they're one, two, three, but there's a good off season topic for you, by the way, the uh, median rank for Duke on a yearly basis is the highest of any team fifth in Ken Palm. So the average year for Duke, they're the fifth best team best team in the country. Yes. No, uh, Kansas is six and Kentucky is eight. North Carolina is 10. Nobody else has an average year of being in the top 10. All right, coming up next, J.R. Starkish joins the show. Ready for the weekend? It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkis. Champagne, perfume going in, sewage coming out. Follow on Twitter at J.R. Starkis, the Director of Business Development, Southern Glitters Wine Spirits and Nevada Mixologist. He's back with us. Is that a new title, or have I just missed that the entire time you've been with us? Uh, no, it's 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 relatively new. Um, you know, I, from from key account executive to director of business development, they just took the title and made it a little more appropriate for what it is. I hope you got um, more money so, out of it. <laughs> it sounds important, right? Well, it did does. you get a raise? Uh, no, no. Well, then the title means nothing. Oh, You're still yeah. our extreme mixologist. Yeah. You don't get a raise for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. That's the important title is that you're an extreme mixologist. Uh, well, work to, Southern told me I could get a raise from them once I got a raise from you guys. And I was like, oh, boy. You know, so. <laughs> Good luck with that. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I said. I was like, crap. So, yeah, here we are. Anyway, you guys miss me? Yeah, where have you been? Yeah, where have you been? Uh, I was in Arizona. Uh, we did a little. So, we, you know, we've been traveling a lot for baseball this year. And uh, it was my my 20 year anniversary as well. And, and so, you know, my son was invited to play with um, uh, the LVR, the Las Vegas recruits. Uh, he's played with them all summer. And so they had a, the 17 U uh, world series down in Arizona, which happened to start on my 20 year anniversary. So I had to approach this with kid gloves. When I asked my wife, uh, Hey, uh, there's a tournament in Arizona in July. And she looked at me right away and she says, we're going to be celebrating our anniversary on a baseball field, aren't we? Oh. And I said, uh, yeah. How hot and was that? Like, 120 degrees? Uh, it, no, you know what? It wasn't so bad. Actually, like they, it was right around the same time you guys here were having all the rainstorms. They were as well. So we actually got rained out one day. We got four games of the five in. Um, so it was, it was good. There was a ton of scouts out there and all that kind of stuff. So it was really great for all the boys to, to play. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, it was humid, which is, was interesting, right? You know, you don't, we don't, we're not used to too much humidity here or in Arizona. And so it was like 103, but the humidity was up. So it was one of those things where you're standing outside, you know, it's hot, but your body is just dripping sweat immediately. And it didn't matter the time of day. Uh, so, but it was, it was great. We had a great time. So we kind of coupled our family vacation in with our anniversary in with the baseball tournament. And then we came back on Sunday. And then on Monday, I had to shoot up to Utah because he, uh, JT had a college visit up in Utah on Monday and we went up and back the same day. So what did you, did you go to dinner for your anniversary or did you actually spend it at a baseball field? <laughs> so, you know, here's the funny thing that my wife was, she's not a morning person like I am. Um, and so we were staying in a really nice hotel in Phoenix. Uh, the Arizona grand is where we were staying. And the fields that we were playing at were 45 minutes away. Uh, but I wanted to stay in the hotel through the 27th, which is our, our anniversary, because um, the, the nice restaurant that I wanted to take her to and the nice bars that I wanted to take her afterwards were right by the hotel. I didn't want to move to closer to the, to, to the games and then have to drive back and then 
you know, you're drinking a little bit and I don't like to drink and drive and they don't have the same, um, like designated driver service that we have out here. So I was like, no, we're going to stay in the hotel, but we had to be on the baseball field at seven o'clock in the morning or the boys started the game at seven o'clock in the morning that day. Um, which means they had to be there at six fifteen. which means that we had to leave the hotel at five, four, five thirty in the morning. What a um, week. Yeah, this is our anniversary, right? So she's a trooper. We get there, we get to the field, and we notice right away I get an email, oh, games have been pushed back to 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, oh, like, oh boy. And then they got pushed back to 11, and then they got pushed back to noon. So uh, she was not happy with that at all, but it is what it is. But we did go to a beautiful dinner that night. We ate at a place called the Elements at the Sanctuary Hotel in, in, in Phoenix, uh, or just outside of Phoenix, and it was absolutely beautiful. Um, beautiful homes tucked in the side of a hill, a nice resort. And, uh, we had a, we had a wonderful meal and, uh, a, a great evening together. We left the kid in the room to eat whatever leftovers he wanted to eat. But <laughs> we said, mom and dad are going, mom and dad are going to dinner. See you later. Look at you. I flew. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was great. We had a good time. We made the best of it. We had a great family vacation. We didn't get on each other's nerves. Um, you know, so it was, it was good. I am successful. Never, I'm never going to have an anniversary interrupted by a kids baseball game. No, that's never going to happen. Not going to happen for me. All right. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see. Not, no, not going to happen. <laughs> no. JR, what are you making for us today? All right. So coming back, we're going to come back with a, a cantaloupe mojito I wanted to do for you this week. We obviously, when it's hot and humid and, um, you know, the mojito is one of those kind of quintessential summertime cocktails and people love to make mojitos, but we wanted to just take it and kind of, twist it up a little bit, um, and add a little bit of fresh cantaloupe to it. So um, obviously you'll need a fresh cantaloupe that you'll, you'll kind of uh, take some chunks. The chunks should be, I don't know, call it quarter-inch cubes, give or take. You don't have to make them perfect, of course, but just to give you an idea of size. And the more ripe, the better, because part of this is going to be muddling, and we, we want, we're using some of the sugar and the sweetness from the cantaloupe for our drink. If you don't have... Um, a really ripe cantaloupe, you'll either not be able to press the cantaloupe into like uh, to give, get the juice out, or um, you'll, you might need to add a little more sugar than what I talk about here uh, because we, I use the recipe. First of all, I like the recipe not to be too sweet, to be a little more on the sour side, but um, I also am using some of the sugars from the cantaloupe. So 8 to 10 to 12 pieces, and it really depends on how much cantaloupe flavor that you want, and this could be you know, honeydew melon, if you wanted it to be that, if you don't like cantaloupe or something, same, same idea here. So eight to 10 to 12 pieces, chunks go right into our, our, our rocks glass or our Collins glass, something that can A, withstand a muddler and B, uh, holds about 12 to 14 ounces. Then we're going to add the same thing about mint, right? And, and, uh, the more mint flavor you like, add more mint, the, the less, the less, but I add about 10 mint leaves usually because I get, for the purpose of the show, mint from the grocery store, which is the same thing that you're getting, not the highfalutin mint that I would typically get behind a, uh, a bar, uh, with, which is much bigger, more uh, robust mint. The mint at the grocery store is kind of dainty, um, so you might need to use a little bit more of it, but it gets the job done not just the same. You just have to add a little bit more. So, you know, 10 mint leaves or so, adjust up or down as you see fit, three-quarter ounces of fresh lime juice, and then I use about three-quarter to one teaspoon of granulated sugar. Now, like I mentioned, if the ripe, if the cantaloupe juice isn't as ripe, uh, you'll have to add a little bit more, or you can add, you know, three quarter ounces or half of an ounce of simple syrup if you don't want to add the granulated sugar. But I like adding the granulated sugar because what it does is it helps to when you muddle those ingredients together that I just put into the glass, 
Um, it helps to extract some of the oil from the mint. Um, so, you you know, by muddling the mint, the lime, the cantaloupe, and the sugar together, that sugar will kind of start to incorporate in the juice, but it will also extract some of the oils from the, from the mint, which is it, it helps with the final flavor of the drink. It's much more fresh that way. After that, you can just take some um, ice, and you want to add about three-quarters way of ice, and there's a reason for that, and I'll explain it shortly. Three-quarters of the way of ice, and then I used Don Q Cristal, which is a Puerto Rican rum, uh, a great Puerto Rican rum, very, very affordable, and uh, kind of a quintessential um, drink or rum for a mojito or for the pina colada, frankly. So Don Q Cristal, I add an ounce and a half on top of that ice. Then I will take um, uh, Fever Tree Club Soda, my last ingredient, and I will top that drink with Fever Tree Club Soda, but again, about three-quarters of the way. Now, what I'm doing is, since I'm not shaking the drink, I'm going to take my bar spoon and I am going to incorporate, by kind of giving an agitation or a stir, all of the ice, the mint, the cantaloupe, the sugar, the rum, everything. I'm going to agitate it together, and that's going to get all of the flavors to kind of incorporate. It's also going to help with the, the dilution process of the rum. Um, but at the same time, when it happens, when you have the bar spoon and then you're agitating it, the reason we fill it only three-quarters of the way is because we don't want to splash all of everything out. Uh, so this is just giving us a little bit of room to play there. Um, after you've agitated the drink and, and kind of stirred and, and kind of taken the stuff that's on the bottom of the glass from muddling and used the bar spoon to kind of almost scoop it to the top, if you will, to incorporate it, now you can top with a little more ice to fill it and then garnish it with a nice piece of mint, and you have a, a beautiful cantaloupe mojito that you can adjust any way you see fit. I mean, literally, that cantaloupe can as easily be honeydew. It can easily be pineapple or any other combination of fruits that you like, um, and it will work just the same. Just swap in your favorite fruit and, um, you know, adjust the sugar content to your liking, and voila, you have, a, you have a beautiful, very refreshing, easy-to-make drink with all the ingredients you can buy at the liquor store and the grocery store. How many people do you know don't like cantaloupe? Because I feel like I know a lot of people that are like, oh, cantaloupe is gross. Yeah, um, I, I do know quite a few people that don't like cantaloupe. Um, I, one is a colleague. He can't stand it. Um, <laughs> but, but he also doesn't like pineapple for some reason, so that's right, just weird. weird. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, yeah, yeah. problem. Uh, my, son's, though, my son's favorite fruit is cantaloupe, which is also weird to me to a degree. Um, <laughs> I feel like you know, if, if your favorite fruit is cantaloupe, that's also odd. Uh, but he, that's his favorite fruit. So I don't know. I, no, you're. I think you're 100 percent right. Nobody should have cantaloupe as their favorite fruit, but no. it's also perfectly no. fine to eat. There's nothing wrong with cantaloupe. Yeah, you, yeah, it, yeah. You nailed the spectrum of cantaloupe. Who uh, doesn't like yeah, pineapple? In the middle. Yeah, I don't know who doesn't like pineapple. That's a weird. I one. know it's another. It's another weird one. Yeah, I love pineapple, but cantaloupe just always falls in the middle. There's. It cannot be the best, and it cannot be the worst. It just falls <laughs> in the middle somewhere. <laughs> All right, J.R. Starkus, our extreme mixologist, um, also the director of business development. <laughs> Yeah. That means. yeah. Uh, JR, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Talk to you next week. You bet, guys. Take See care. You. Director of Business right. Development. That sounds, sounds official. Not as good as Extreme Mixologist. No, though. no, that's the best. Because that's he's skydiving, mixing a drink while coming down to the that's air. Right. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> Rock climbing and making a drink on the way up. All right, we got tickets to give away. Family night at Las Vegas Ballpark. Flicks on the field. Friday, August 12th. We got a four pack of tickets to go see Sandlot. On the field at Las Vegas Ballpark Friday night at 7 p.m. next Friday, August 12th. Uh, you can buy tickets right now at Ticketmaster.com or 
win four pair, win four tickets from us right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. You want a four pack, four pack of tickets. I'm struggling through this one to go watch the Sandlot at Las Vegas ballpark. Be calling number six right now. 702-364-1100. All of the sun, none of the fun on the press box summer edition. Ed is gone. He's going out to talk talk to Marcus Arroyo, head coach of UNLV football. So we'll get a report tomorrow on Marcus Arroyo. Danny's in today. Danny, I have a question for you. Shoot. You are a Washington Nationals fan. Yes. Are you cheering for the Padres to win the World Series now? No. No? No, I don't. I normally don't root for other teams to win unless they're playing against a rival of one of my favorite teams. Who are your least favorite baseball teams? Oh, the, uh, the Mets for sure. And pro- well, probably just New York. Oh, so like Braves Phillies don't do anything for you. Yeah. Those are all right. I mean, like, did you mind the Braves winning the world series last year? No, it didn't really okay. bother me. But if the Mets win it, this if the year, Mets with me win, it'll bother me because some of my family members are Mets fans, ah, yes, so yeah. I have to hear it from yeah, them, too. That's key. That's key. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I moved out of Mississippi before the Astros lost to the Braves in the World Series because majority of people in Mississippi cheer for the Braves. I also have a lot of family. My my mom's whole side of the family is from New York, so they're split down the middle, half Mets, half Yankees. So if the Yankees win, I'll have to hear it from half my family. So I just don't want New York to <laughs> no win. No New York teams, period? No. Okay, so... Uh, let me, okay. Well, I'm one is Juan Soto. Where does he rank among like your favorite baseball players ever? Ever? Um, oh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I okay. don't think I've ever thought about it. You haven't thought about who your favorite like national is of all time. Probably Ryan Zimmerman. Okay. Just and cause he is, spent his entire right, career there. there. He's time. from Virginia. So is Soto number two. I would say he's probably top five. Yeah. Like I really liked uh, Trey Turner. I was, I was <laughs> on the same level of sadness when Turner got traded last year as Juan Soto oh, did really? this year. Especially because Turner was just kind of like a late add to that whole trade. Yeah. Like Scherzer was clearly being shopped around, but yeah, Turner and, was kind of a little bit out of nowhere, and they had another year of control under of him. Right, and I wasn't too upset when Scherzer got traded because you know he's an older pitcher. Wasn't sure if he would have his last season with the Dodgers and then end it, but oh well. Okay. Cause you're you're similar to Ed in that he cheers for the Dodgers and like as soon as someone's off the Dodgers, he's he doesn't care. No, I mean I I'm not gonna be like, oh let's go, let's go, but I will follow Bell and Soto see how they do the rest of the season, but I'm not going to become a Padres fan. Well, yeah, you don't have to become a fan, but like Padres in the World Series, they win it. You, you'll be happy if Juan Soto's. I would, yes, I would be happy for Soto and Bell getting a ring. As far as the rest of the team, I don't care. Okay. How does it feel to be a Nationals fan right now? Because it's not. We saw it the coming. Nationals won the World Series yep. three, four three years, years ago. ago. Yeah. 19. Yeah. So it's not like it's been, you know, whatever the Rockies who have not won the world series or like the pirates who have been bad forever. But it, uh, do you you have, let me ask you this. Do you have confidence? The nationals will be good at some point in the near future. What's your definition of near future? Five years, five years from now, are they contending at least five years? I think they could be a top two, maybe three team in the East. Okay. 
the like they'll be they'll be a wild card team. Okay. But I mean, I was look. I did a little bit of research into uh, the guys that we got. Haven't done a full research, but according to some Nationals media as well, like uh, three of the prospects we got from the Padres are now top ten prospects of ours. Oh, I hope so. Two I mean, of them are two of them are top five prospects. Yeah, I was gonna say three of them were top one hundred in all of baseball, right? Yeah, yeah. And one of them was considered the best infielder in the minors who's the who's the sleeper juliana susana susana yeah he a top top 20 pros top 10 prospect for the national yeah i think now. he's now like nine or eight something like that. that not a sleeper anymore he's top nah. 10 prospect he's got to be good at some point in the we'll future. see but he's one that he's one that's like 19 isn't he was one of the 19 year olds uh, i'm not two, sure two of age. the guys were 19 and it's like you got a three years at least until they're doing something unless they're really special. But if you're the nationals, you're you're not planning to be good next year or the year after. So if you're 19, you wait until he's at least 22, if not 23 or 24 and call him up. Uh, yeah. He's an 18 year old with a 2.45 ERA and uh, he has a four to one walk uh, strikeout to walk ratio. Yeah. You'll see him in a decade the plan for him we'll see unless he's used as a bargaining chip for what i don't know next year two years what are they going to trade him for a player like juan soto who knows what they're going to (laughs) do juan soto might be available in a couple years the padres fall out of it they might trade him at the deadline well yeah and he uh they asked him yesterday when he was introduced do you have any plans of re-signing and he said right now i just want to win i'm not thinking about re-signing i i think he's going to free agency i do too because i don't know like between the three the three big hitters on that team you're gonna lock up a billion dollars why not it'd be fun if they did but i think he's gonna go to free agency because i think he's going it's very limited number of teams that'll give juan soto the you know more than what the nationals offered but i do think he'll go to free agency and try to at least get the three or four teams that would do it or could do it to actually do it to give them give him what he would want and i think the money was there i just think 15 years to a 23 year old you're basically saying okay this is where i'm going to be my entire career as opposed to i have options but i'm choosing to stay here he learned from mike trout don't sign with the team that can't win forever